You may also uh, find it helpful to uh, take up the uh, sheet that's got Songs of Communion on one side and uh, the Sermon Outline on the other side. Uh, if you get lost as to what I'm saying, then at least uh, if you've got that in front of you and you're taking notes, you hopefully will stay with me. I think most of us are there. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we have already said that we believe that the Lord Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. We know that that will be an awesome day. And we pray that as we look at your word now, by your spirit, you would help us to understand it. That we may be those who are not just ready, but rejoicing as he comes. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder how many times in your life somebody said to you, uh, don't waste your life. I suspect you've heard it from your parents. I suspect you've heard it from your teachers. Even those of you that are at university have probably heard it from your lecturers as well. Don't waste your life, they'll say. Don't be lazy. And uh, those are the... Uh, those words are the title of a book by John Piper. I think if you're a student, uh, it's one of the books of the term. And uh, I just want to read to you what is written on the back. John Piper writes, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from February 1998, Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. Well, the message of uh, John Piper's book is the message of our second Advent parable that we're looking at tonight. And it's part of our countdown as a church for Christmas, making sure that we are prepared uh, not just to remember that Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago, but prepared and ready on that day of reckoning when the Lord Jesus comes again. And so as we remember the first time when he came, in humility to save sinners we also remember that he's going to come the next time in glory to judge sinners. So if the uh, message, if you were with us last week, of that first Advent parable about five wise and five foolish virgins was that we're to prepare for that day by being vigilant, by waiting and watching. And the message of our second parable tonight of the two faithful and hard-working servants and the one wicked and lazy servant, is that we are to prepare for that day by being diligent, working hard, not wasting our lives by putting things like shells at the heart of them. Instead, we're to use all that God has made us, all that God has given us, to make a name for him and not for ourselves. So let's have a look at the parable, and as we do so, uh, let's remember, shall we, that this isn't an allegory. We can't, and we're not supposed to, just find direct parallels with everything that Jesus says here. Not supposed to say, well, that means that, that means that, and everything else means this. 
That's not the intention. Instead, I want us to note three main things. And the first is this. The master's generous investment. Verse 14. Again, it, Jesus says, it. He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven that he's already been speaking about in chapter 25. And uh, he goes on to say, Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his his ability. Then he went on his journey. So do you get the picture? The uh, master calls his slaves to him. That word servant there actually means slaves. Those whose lives are owed to their master. They have their existence down to him. He owns them. And he makes a very, very generous investment in them. The sums involved here are absolutely vast. Uh, If you look at the footnote, you'll see uh, footnote A, that a talent was worth in those days, in those days it was worth several hundred pounds. Or you might say, look at it another way. Uh, In those days a talent was worth 6,000 denarii. Now, uh, if you begin to realise that a denarius, that's one uh, denomination of those uh, denarii, was the daily pay for a labourer. When you begin to realise that, you begin to see that what we have here is is nearly 20 years' pay. So if you put that into today's money, that is several hundred thousand pounds, even for the one who just gets one talent. So do you see, as we begin to see what uh, this master has done, he has been incredibly generous to all of them. To all of them. I mean, can you imagine those of you that work, if, if your employer was going to come into you tomorrow morning, can you imagine them just suddenly saying, hey, look, here you go, 20 years pay in one go. Nobody would do that. But that is exactly what this master does. Exactly what he does. This is what it is like, friends, in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the master and he leaves earth for heaven. And as he does so, he entrusts to us, he gives us the responsibility for something of incredible worth. And that thing is the gospel. We know that it must be the gospel because when we look ahead through the parable, when we look to uh, verse 21, for example, and then when we look to verses 29 and 28, we see that there's a, there's a promised future of rewards and praise on the one hand. And there's also a promised future of retribution and punishment on the other. And when we see those two very different futures that are promised, we realise that this parable is about God and his gift of the gospel and how we use it. Because it is the gospel and responding to it that makes the difference between the two. And of course the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. That he's the son of God. That's what we've been finding out in Christianity Explored. That he came into the world to save us from the consequences that you and I face for our sin. Consequences which separate us from God now and will do so in eternity. Giving us an eternity in hell. And if you want to see how awful that is, just look at verse 30. Into darkness where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. That is hell. And instead, by giving us the gospel so that we might respond to the good news about Jesus, he opens up the opportunity for us to to be his friends, to know him now and in eternity and be with him in heaven. That is the gospel that makes the difference that Jesus highlights in this parable. That, you see, is why the gospel is of such incredible worth. And that is why we must use it responsibly. Use it responsibly. And in the first instance, that means we must accept it personally. Believe it. And then once we believed it, we must obey it. And then after that, we must use all that we are, all that God has made us, all that God has given us for the gospel. I wonder if you notice that uh, at, in, in verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, the master entrusted his property to them. And verse 15, the master gives them the number of talents that are appropriate to their ability. God knows, isn't this amazing? God knows how you and I are wired up. He made you and me. He knows that you and I are all different. So it's like, it's like looking into a box of licorice of all sorts. All of them are different. It's like having a bag of pick and mix. All of them are different. All of you and I in this building are different. And because of that, God gives us what is appropriate to you and to me. Now let's be clear uh, that this is, this is not that some people are more favoured than God, but by God than others. No, all of us are entrusted with the gospel. All of us have that generous investment in us of incredible proportions. It's just that some of us are men, some of us are women. Some of us work, some of us are unemployed. Some of us, some of us are pensioners. Some of us are sporty, some of us are artistic. Some of us are leaders, some of us are followers. And the great news is that God knows that. He knows how you are wired up and how I am wired up. And he gives us the opportunities for the gospel that match us. So you and I don't need, I don't need to try and be a Billy Graham, nor do you. Because there's only one Billy Graham. There's only one Rico Tice. There's only, thank goodness, one Paul Williams. Be yourself. Be the person that God made you to be. And that means, of course, that there are opportunities for all of us to speak about Jesus. Opportunities that God has prepared for you and me in advance. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, We are God's workmanship, created by Christ Jesus to do good works. Not the ones that we dream up, but ones that God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that amazing? You and me are part of God's plan. Specially prepared, made uniquely for it. We are key parts in his gospel plan. Like, uh, I guess some of us are going to get jigsaws for Christmas. Isn't that a good present to give somebody if you don't know what else to give them? You and I are jigsaws, bit, we are, you and I are jigsaw bits in God's big jigsaw. There are places for us to be. Places where you and I can be used for him. Do you see the, the master's generous investment in us? It's specific to us. And then secondly, we see here the master's clear expectation. We see it right from the word go. 
Uh, I, I wasn't alive then, but, uh, and I, none of us here were alive then, but uh, back in 1805, uh, well done, you're awake. Back in 1805, as uh, Nelson in charge of the, uh, the British fleet, as Nelson in charge of the British fleet gathered his ships together at the beginning of the Battle of Trafalgar, Monday 21st of October, he signalled by flags, what did he say? He said, England expects that everyone, every man will do his duty. That was the expectation of every single person on every single ship. And here, here in these verses, we find that the Master's clear expectation of us is that we will put the gospel that he's entrusted to us to use. That's why he gives us the opportunities that are according to our abilities. Isn't that so kind of him? There's nothing that is beyond us. And the expectation is you and I will get to work. We will use our gifts so that we will put those talents to work. Do you see in verse 16, that's exactly what the man with five talents does. He goes straight out at once and put his money to work. So too, also, verse 17, the man with two talents does the same. But, verse 18, the man who'd received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Do you see, uh, verse 19, what happens after a bit of time? After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Do you see what happens? He expects that those he's entrusted much to will have scattered liberally. They will have employed the talents for good. And you know what? That's the message for you and I tonight, if we are Christians here. We're to be generous with the gospel. We are to be liberals. Ah, that got your attention, isn't it? It's not often that you hear us telling you to be liberals. But we are to be liberal with what we do with the gospel. We are to broadcast it everywhere to every single person to make the most of any and every opportunity. You see, see, God is not choosy about whom we share the gospel with. You may think that, but he's not. I mean, just look at me. When someone shared the gospel with me, what was I like? I was a drinking, hard-living naval officer. But someone, their names are actually Debbie and Ruth, they took me to hear the gospel being preached by a man called John Allen. The next night I went on of my own accord to another meeting and I became a Christian. And I thank God for every single one of them. And of course, if you're a Christian here tonight, that is exactly the same for all of us. Someone shared the gospel with you and with me. Took the time, perhaps money, perhaps friendship. They put our friendship with them on the line to make the most of the opportunities. You know, Paul didn't say it earlier, but, but we as a staff are absolutely thrilled with the response to uh, giving out those invitations to the carol services. We, we've seen that, that the pile's just diminishing through the week. And that's a huge encouragement to us. If you go and look at the, the table with all the Christmas cards that need to be delivered, most have gone, there are still some left. It's one of the easiest opportunities for us, isn't it? And let's make the most of it. And can I just say, just to uh, encourage you, that, that when your friends do come, either next Sunday night, 
or even next Sunday morning, whenever they come to church. Just try and make sure that you, you have something to go on to with them afterwards, even if it's just across to the church centre. Make the most of that opportunity. Why not just say to them, what do you make of what Paul said? What do you make of what David said? What do you make of what the speaker said? It's a very natural thing to do when you've been to an event with somebody. If you go to the theatre, if you go to the cinema, you always say, hey, what do you make of that? You always chat about it afterwards. Why not do that when you invite somebody here next week or whenever it is? Just pop the question. Get the conversation going. Make the most of the opportunity. And then what about the other opportunities we've got? You've got opportunities I haven't got. If you're parents, what about the school gate? If you're at work, maybe you're the only person who's a Christian in your working environment. Great opportunities for you that nobody else has. Maybe your hobbies, maybe you go to the gym, maybe you do pottery, I don't know what you do. Stamp collecting. Whatever it is. There'll be other people who are wired up the same. Make those connections. Dog walking. There's a dog walker who lives along our road. And she's always out and she's meeting, bumping into other people with dogs. If you have a dog, it's a great way of meeting other people. Each of us have unique opportunities. So please don't just say, oh, I'm just a mother. I'm just an elderly retiree. I'm just a cook. I'm just a this or a that. God has made you and me as we are. And he expects us to get to work. And you know what? Uh, there were lots of great events last week. I guess a, a number of us here went to them. A number of us were involved in them. There was the Christianity Explored meal, the student Christmas meal, Posh Nosh. Those are great events for the gospel. But they won't just take place because there's a speaker. You know what? You need cooks. You need people to dishwash up afterwards. You need people to set up, people to take down, people to clear up, people to do the inviting. All of those opportunities to get involved in gospel work. You know what, there's, there's a really humbling example in uh, Mark chapter 14. I'm just going to turn to it. If you want to turn to it with me, you can. It's on page uh, 1020. 1020. And it's a little incident that's, that's sandwiched between... Uh, well, you'll see when you get to chapter 14. It's beginning of chapter 14. And the incident is in verses uh, 3 through to 9. And it's sandwiched between the, the plotting of the religious establishment to kill Jesus and Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Let me just read it to you. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining, reclining at a table in a home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why, what a waste of perfume. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Did you hear what Jesus said? Whenever the gospel is preached, this story will be told what she has done in memory. So you see, just as Judas is remembered for his betrayal of Jesus and for his unfaithfulness, so this woman is to be remembered as a mark of faithfulness. She did what she could. You know what, it it just knocks into touch, doesn't it? The idea that you can be an inactive Christian. Someone who merely comes to church on Sundays, maybe just sits in a pew and goes away afterwards. Maybe goes to a, a small group, but that's it. The sum total of their activity. You see, when we realise just how valuable the gospel is, we should be queuing up to take it out to the world, to make the most of the opportunities. And if we don't uh, think that there are any opportunities, well, boy, just remember, God has set up opportunities for you and for me that fit us like a glove. Uh, you may have heard of him, Josh McDowell. He, was a, he, he is a popular evangelist and uh, And he once said this to a young man in a conversation. The young man said to him, I'd like to serve Christ on the mission field. I'm just waiting for God to open the door. And McDowell's response was incredulous. Open the door, he asked. Open the door, he repeated. There are 50,000 open doors right now. God doesn't need to open the door. You need to walk through one of the 50,000 that are already open. Same is true for you and me. We don't lack opportunities. We don't lack outlets for for the gospel. We just don't like to see them, do we? So let's take that bit of advice. Let's consider here our master's expectations of you and me. And let's plug the gaps. Let's be willing pieces in God's gospel jigsaw. It may be uh, tonight that you're not sure about what the gospel is about. Not confident to say it to somebody. Can I just point you to this book? It's called Know and Tell the Gospel by John Chapman. It's so easy. It helped me so many times. It is a great opportunity. Read that. Give it to a friend who's struggling. Uh, You'll find copies of this along with uh, the other book uh, by John Piper. Just inside the uh, church centre as you go in on the left. Do do buy them. Do have them. If you can't pay for them, have them on me. It's that serious. It's that serious, friends. God expects us to use the gospel opportunities he gives us. That is the master's expectation. And then finally, the final scene, my third point. The master's day of reckoning, verses 19 to 30. One day, the master returns, verse 19, to settle the accounts. And the basis of his judgment is on what his servants have done with the investment, the talents that he gave them. And he returns here expecting results, doesn't he? And he treats his servants accordingly. For some, on the one hand, the verdict is glorious, one of reward and praise. For the others, the verdict is frightening, one of retribution punishment. On the one hand, verse 20 and 21, the one who was entrusted with five talents comes up to him and says, you entrusted with five talents, look, I've gained five more. And the master's response, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The same happened with the man entrusted with two talents. He had gained two more. What does the master reply? 
exactly the same. Verse 23 is exactly the same as verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share with your share your master's happiness. All they've done, it's amazing, isn't it? All they've done is just do what they were expected to do. Produce results in accordance with their abilities. Nothing hard. God's expectations were exactly right for them. And they measured up to them. So much easier, isn't it? Than meeting worldly expectations. You may go into work tomorrow. And there are financial repayments to be made. Business and marketing Schedules to meet. Growth forecasts to meet. You name it. The world sets standards that are beyond us. But God graciously sets opportunities that we can make because he makes them so that they fit us like a glove. Bits of a jigsaw into a jigsaw. If we're faithful... If we're faithful, these verses tell us, we are given more opportunities and we share in his joy. I wonder if, if there's anybody here tonight who's, who's never experienced the joy that God has. I wonder. It may well be, brother or sister, because you've never actually stepped out. Stepped out and made the most of the opportunities that he is giving you. It may be that you've never really Stepped out to be faithful. But do you see how easy God makes it? He fits us for what he wants us to do. It's not hard. I I remember in a previous parish, uh, I was organising some door-to-door visiting, and uh, one woman came along very, very reticently. She'd been part of the church family for over 20 years. She'd even been on the staff at one time. But up till then, she'd resolutely refused to go out door-to-door. And this night she said she'd give it a go. She came along and uh, after some prayer, together as a team, we went out two by two. And uh, she and I went out together and uh, to start with I did the talking. And then bit by bit she was doing it and by the end of it she was really getting into it. And of course sometimes people open the door and they slam it in your face. You do get some negative responses but by the time we got back she said she wanted to stand up in church the following Sunday, and tell everybody about it. She was so full of joy, she wanted to say how she had used the opportunities she'd got. Opportunities she never knew were there. Well, I know for some of us here tonight, you may feel like that. But to all of us, these verses here say, be faithful, use the opportunities that God has given us. Look for them and use them. And see how those opportunities grow and grow and grow. See how God's joy fills your heart. Don't you want that glorious verdict? That great reward and that praise from him? How wonderful to meet Jesus and him to say on that final day, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you deserve that? Do you expect him to say that of you? Well, there's a second response that we might get from Jesus. We see it in the uh, verses 24 through to the end. And it's not a glorious verdict, it's a frightening verdict of great retribution and punishment. Look at verse 24. This servant clearly doesn't know the master that he's serving. 
He says this, he says, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. It belongs to you. It's crazy. He claims he was afraid and he, hid, he hides the talent. I mean, it's, it's not surprising, actually, that, that this guy's actions betray him. Because if the master was such a hard taskmaster, he'd have jolly well got out there and tried to get a reward, tried to, get, tried to uh, make money as he was supposed to. But instead, he's wicked and lazy. And he tries to pretend that it's the master's fault. He tries to pre- pretend that it's, it's God's fault and not our own. I, I wonder if that's you here tonight. Pretending that it's God's fault that you don't do what you do because God is a hard taskmaster? Well, the first part of the passage tells us that God is is wonderfully generous. He's not a harsh taskmaster, is he at all? He's fantastic. And if there's somebody here perhaps playing that game, two things for you tonight. Firstly, remember, God cannot be fooled. And secondly, see the frightening verdict the great retribution and punishment that is coming your way. Verse 26, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, you had received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So far, friends, the message has been clearly aimed, hasn't it, at the faithful to use the opportunities that God has given. But here in these final chilling verses, we're reminded that although salvation is by grace, God's judgment is by works. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We are saved by grace. We are judged by works. God will ask us on that final day, what have you actually done to prove that you're a real believer? Because real faith works. Real faith works. You've had lots of opportunities. You've heard the gospel. You may even have understood it. But have you believed it and acted on it? Have you made the most of the opportunities? You see, these final verses tell us just how to go about wasting our lives. How to end up, verse 30, worthless. We may have all sorts of material possessions. We have all sorts of letters after our names. We may have many achievements, but they're worth nothing in God's eyes unless they have been used for the gospel and gospel opportunities. So this parable challenges us to examine our lives, to be ready Because we are working. It calls us to ask, what kind of servant am I? It reveals to us, doesn't it, the master's generous investment, his clear expectation and that there will be a day of reckoning. It reveals on the one hand a glorious promise, but on the other a frightening promise. It reveals on the one hand what you will receive if you're a good and faithful working servant and what you will receive on the other hand if you waste your life by being wicked and lazy. Of course, it's not my verdict that matters. It's Jesus's. He is the judge. He is returning. He could come at any time. 
How will he find you? Will you be ready? Will you be working? Well, while there's still time, let us turn to him now. Let's ask his forgiveness and let's start living and serving him and his gospel. You know what? There's not a minute to lose. So let's take a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Let's consider Jesus' return. And let's consider what his verdict might be on us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much indeed for your immeasurably generous investment in us through the gospel of Jesus. Please forgive us when we have neglected that he is returning. Please help us to live expectantly. We pray that you will reveal when, where and how we have been lazy and wicked servants. When we have abused your gospel and not taken the opportunities you've given us. Please, Father, help us to see the horror of what awaits us if we reject your gospel and reject its opportunities. Please help us instead to be faithful and grateful for the gospel to take those opportunities you've given us by using them to the full so that each of us as individuals and we as a church may receive your glorious verdict on that final day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my happiness. Father, maybe those be words that we will all hear on that final day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.